Back in November, we had a conversation I still haven't stopped thinking about. And it's one of the episodes that comes up the most when I talk to you all. It was about fast fashion. You know those trendy but cheap brands like Shein, ASOS, Zara, and H&M? Fast fashion has completely changed the way so many of us shop and even changed what we wear. It's made shopping cheaper, sizing seemingly more inclusive, and just being all-around fly a lot more accessible. It's everywhere. You can see an ad on Instagram for a cute top, put it in your cart and IG, and buy it in seconds. Never has it been this easy to buy clothing. With just one click of a button, you can have a giant box of garments at your door in days. Have y'all seen those hauls on TikTok where people try on like 20 things they bought from Shein for $20? Okay, I'm exaggerating, but you get it. Maybe that's why Time Magazine listed Shein as one of their top 100 most influential companies of 2022. Now, whether or not you like Shein or fast fashion brands like it, you cannot deny the way they've changed so many people's relationship with clothing. You also can't deny their impact on the environment. I love shopping, and what I love even more is getting a good deal. But in the months since doing this episode, I've really had to reevaluate the way I shop and the items I value. Me and some of my friends even challenged each other to stop or drastically cut back the amount of clothing we buy. Some months are better than others. I had a really good no shopping streak going for a while. But now, whenever I do decide to partake in a little fast fashion retail therapy, I can't help but to think about the real cost of buying an outfit so cheaply. Welcome to Pop Cultured. I'm Bridget Armstrong. For the next two weeks, I'm going on a little spring break. But that doesn't mean we're going to leave you hanging. This week, we revisit fast fashion consumption. The industry has exploded over the past decade, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Apparel manufacturing leaving the United States, the rise of online shopping, and the popularity of Instagram. But our collective shopping obsession is harming workers, polluting the environment, and maybe even poisoning us. I write about sustainability and my goal in the writing that I do, particularly microblogging on Instagram, is to be an alternative voice to all of the consumption that Instagram seems to run on these days. Aja Barber is the author of Consumed, The Need for Collective Change. It seems like you can't really follow people without being served ads constantly. I think that the parallels between the fed up version of fast fashion consumption and social media are clearly there. So I aim to educate people, but also to get them to think twice. When I was a kid, conversations about the pitfalls of clothing production mostly centered on sweatshops. But the difference then was we were talking about luxury items that cost hundreds of dollars being made by workers who are only getting paid pennies. You know, when people would talk about Jordans or Donna Karen jeans. Things that were largely unobtainable for a lot of people. But as our appetite for fashion has gotten bigger and clothing manufacturing globalized, we didn't actually do away with the sweatshops. We made more of them. And we made clothes even cheaper. It's an evolution Aja Barber has observed firsthand. She's worked as a consultant and stylist, and she started off in the traditional fashion industry. She's worked for designers in London, and she eventually began fashion blogging herself. Then she started to notice something. It's fashion bloggers turned into influencers, and influencers started gaining bigger platforms featuring even more products. The people following them started buying a lot more stuff. And there are a lot of reasons why we're collectively buying more. 
But Aja says, if you want to start looking at your own consumption, there are three basic questions you need to ask yourself. Why are we buying things? Seeing an ad for those shoes you said you wanted pop up while you're scrolling through Instagram looking at pictures of influencers in fabulous shoes is definitely one of the reasons why you shop too much. But social media pressure isn't the only thing shaping our shopping habits. We're told pretty early on that the ability to buy new clothes is somehow tied to our self-worth. You know, look at pop culture, look at what's being sold to us. Like all of the cult classic chick flick movies always have like makeover scenes where like a character who's treated with no respect is suddenly respected after they buy a lot of clothing and maybe get a haircut, you know, and everyone's like, ooh, she looks good. Now, this isn't a phenomenon that started in the 90s, but boy, do 90s and early 2000s movies do a makeover and shopping scene well. There's the iconic scene in Pretty Woman where Richard Gere's character takes Julia Roberts' character shopping on Rodeo Drive. We're going to need a few more people helping us out. I'll tell you why. We're going to be spending an obscene amount of money in here. So we're going to need a lot more help sucking up to us. This scene from Clueless. Let's do a makeover. (gasps) No. (laughs) No. Oh, come on, let us. Cher's main thrill in life is a makeover, Okay, It gives her a sense of control in a world full of chaos. Please. Of course, the devil wears Prada. These are all sample sizes, two and four. All right, we'll join this for you. And... A poncho. You'll take what I give you and you'll like it. And Mean Girls? I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and flip-flops. That Katie girl is hot. And it wasn't just the ladies getting plucked, primped, and prettied up. We seen Nick Cannon get the makeover treatment, complete with a full-length velour suit, and love don't cost a thing. What happened to your hair? There's even a movie about a woman whose whole storyline and personality is built around shopping too much. Confessions of a Shopaholic. Rebecca Bloomwood. Occupation, journalist. Jacket, visa. Dress, Amex. Belt, MasterCard. Consumerism tells us that consumerism is a part of our identity. We feel like to change the ways in which we engage in consumerism would be to lose part of ourselves. And I know I thought that too. I thought, who will I be if I'm not shopping this way? And I can tell you, I am someone who is happier. I am someone who wears the clothing in my wardrobe. I am someone who makes a lot less shopping mistakes because now I really have embraced what my style is. And so I don't feel pressure to engage in every trend that is presented to me. So once you've answered the question, why are you buying? You then have to ask yourself, how much are you buying? Think about how many items of clothing you bought this year. Everything from a t-shirt to that cute little dress you bought on a whim, or that blazer you got for work, your drawers. Tally it all up. Okay, do you have a number in your head? The average fast fashion consumer buys 68 items of clothing a year. 68 items of clothing a year. Now that's according to Rent the Runway in a Wall Street Journal article. And depending on your own closet, you might not be surprised by that number. I, for one, was shocked. But maybe not for the same reason as others. So you said 68 items of clothing is the average. That is what the average fast fashion consumer in the U.S. buys. A year? A year. I don't know why that sounds low to me. 
Like, I'm like, it's, it's really? <laughs> yes, I said love. When we came up with the idea for this episode, I was excited because I've really been thinking about my own shopping habit and how it exploded during the pandemic as fast fashion became more readily available and I became more bored. And if you're someone who also frequents sites like Sheen or ASOS, you know how easy it can be to buy several or even dozens of items at one time. This stuff is already pretty cheap, especially on Sheen, and there's always a sale. And you can see the evidence of that on YouTube and TikTok, where people will do these clothing hauls where they'll show us like an exorbitant amount of clothing they just bought. I've watched these TikTok hauls where people will get a box the size that like an appliance, like a washing machine will come in and then they tip it out and they go through everything. And you can tell that a good portion of the products that they've bought are not even gonna be worn by them once. It's like, oh, this is cute, maybe I'll wear it. So I spent $900 on Shein, so you don't have to. I filmed all 30 something of the bathing suits that I got. I spent $600 on Shine. But it's so cheap that people view it as disposable. And that attitude doesn't work because nothing that we create disappears. If you are that person who buys 68 items of clothing a year, I encourage you to take a good look at some of your habits and think about some alternative ways of getting that dopamine kick that we all know is provided by sometimes buying things we don't need. Which brings us to the last question. Do we actually need half the stuff we're buying? That question is important because Aja says the stakes are just too high for us to continue making and disposing of stuff we don't really need. Now, it's really hard to track this stuff. But we do know that a huge percentage of fast fashion items end up as trash. And Aja told me that if you donate your clothes, you can expect that a lot of it will just end up in a landfill. Some of it does get sold to textile recyclers, but a lot of those clothes also end up as trash in the global south. The desert in Chile is being polluted with fast fashion. A mountain of discarded clothing, including Christmas sweaters and ski boots, cuts a strange sight in Chile's Atacama Desert. The region is increasingly suffering from pollution created by fast fashion. A lot of secondhand clothing from the United States, Asia, and Europe ends up in Chile. And the stuff that isn't resold is usually thrown out. The image Aja's talking about is of a desert in Chile where piles of secondhand clothing litter the ground. And we're not talking about a few trash bags full. There's an estimated 39,000 tons. One of the things that people don't understand is that polyester actually comes from fossil fuels. It's essentially plastic. A lot of the clothing that is being sold is plastic. And one thing that we do know is that plastic doesn't biodegrade easily. It's actually very hard to recycle. And so a lot of this clothing that we're viewing as disposable or thinking, oh, we can just donate it. That is not the answer. People just aren't that interested in buying used, cheaply made clothing that costs next to nothing when it's new. So that stretched out H&M sweater you donated to the Goodwill. It's either going to end up in a landfill where it does not biodegrade, or it will end up polluting someone else's neighborhood, whether it's Chile or Ghana. And that makes it an environmental justice issue. This is also a civil rights issue. The U.S. imports a lot of consumer goods. And as Aja pointed out, much of that comes from non-white countries in the global South. But because of years of colonialism, and systems put in place, 
these countries, which are literally propping up the entire world with their resources and their labor, are economically poor? What? How could it be that these places over here have what we want and what we need and the labor to make it, and yet they're not competing in the world's GDP global market? And then at the end of the supply chain, the clothing ends up right back in the global south, being dumped in Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, Ghana. In Ghana, they call them Obroni Wawu, or the clothes of dead white men. Take this beer from Australia. They're the charity shop cast-offs from the Western world. It's also turning parts of Ghana into a toxic landfill. The issues that we are facing with climate emergency, the fashion industry is directly aiding in those issues. And unfortunately, there's this chicken and egg conversation, who should change? Right now, a lot of the biggest culprits of polluting the environment, mistreating workers, have so much power because the fashion industry is largely unregulated. So it's a bit like the wild, wild west. And I feel like the only way that a lot of these repeat offenders stop being so powerful is that if people who have the means to take their money away do. And so I try and urge people to consider where they are within this system, because not everyone can just stop shopping fast fashion tomorrow. Okay, so now that you've asked and answered the questions, why are you buying things? How much are you buying? And are you buying things you need? You need to know what retailers to cut back on and avoid. There are too many to name, and we've already called out a few. H&M, ASOS, and Sheen. Zara also makes the list of fast fashion offenders. But there are some other big ones and a few you may not even realize. Boohoo, pretty little thing. And don't forget that there are also umbrella brands. So H&M has stores that look like they should be slow fashion, but they're not. So and other stories, Koss, Monkey, Arquette, Zara, the same, Stradivarius, Poland Bear. A whole bunch of brands fall under the Inditex umbrella, as with the H&M umbrella. And some of them, you might look at them and go, oh, that's not fast fashion. But all the money flows into the same pot and all the systems run pretty much the same. So when you say fast fashion and slow fashion, what's the difference between those two? What are the practices that are different? It's intention and it's the speed at which the clothing is being pumped out. So a lot of fast fashion stores that you go into, there's new stuff on offer every single day. There is a reason why fast fashion stores move at that speed, and that is to maximize the profits that flow into their pockets, essentially. And so fast fashion is, I would argue, any brand that puts stuff out every week. And when we're talking stuff, we're talking thousands of items of stuff. I mean, there was a new report that just came out about Shein and they are notoriously mysterious. And there's a reason why they're mysterious. And that's because I think if people knew the truth behind the business, buying wouldn't be so appealing to us. This was a report from Public Eye. It revealed 75-hour work weeks for people that make the clothing. It revealed that apparently Shein produces 1.2 million articles of clothing a day. 1.2 million articles of clothing. On the site, when they were researching the piece, there was 
259,264 styles of clothing that were grouped under women's clothing. And they were adding that day 6,753 products. So these are huge numbers of clothing that are being produced and pushed out and pushed on the consumer. And there was another report that tested clothing from Sheen and a few other fast fashion retailers like AliExpress and found that one in five items contained potentially harmful chemicals. And when you consider that, it makes those giant clothing unboxings seem a lot less appealing. Nobody actually needs 68 items of clothing a year. Nobody. And I think a lot of people see the number and go, oh, that couldn't be me. Like you thought it was low. I think it's average. And I can tell you when I was a fast fashion shopper, that was easily me. (laughs) Easily. We participate in so much passive buying. When you're going to uh, Target for just a few items, like non-clothing items, but you've had a really crappy day, you're not feeling great about yourself and you see a dress and you just think, I don't really need that dress, but it represents better days when I feel better about myself. That's passive buying. When you work at a job you hate and on the way home to cheer yourself up, you always sort of pop into the shops to see what's new. Maybe you get something, maybe you don't. That's passive buying. We don't really recognize how much passive buying that we do. And then we also don't really recognize how much temptation is on social media. When we're talking about social media and the rise Mm -hmm. of fast fashion, I think you can see and look at like a parallel rise with both of them, partially because of our the accessibility of the internet. You can get anything. But also it feels like fashion is driven by what we see on Instagram, which is constantly mm-hmm. changing every day. You know, it used to be that it was just sort of celebrities. And I've heard certain celebrities say like, no one should try and compete with me as far as like what I wear. Like I get paid to wear these things. I get sent things for free. The average person should not try and compete with my wardrobe because it's a losing game. Like if I was not in this position, I would not dress this way either. And I think we want to emulate without recognizing that it's an unsustainable way to live your life. You know, the idea that you can't be seen in the same item twice or the same thing twice on social media. There's a New York Times piece where they interview Gen Z shoppers. And that's one of the takeaways is that a lot of Gen Z's don't want to be seen wearing the same thing twice. Therein lies the problem. But a lot of this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, how fast fashion and owning a lot of clothes makes us feel. No one wants to be the geeky girl who wears all the wrong stuff at the beginning of the movie. We all want to be the post-shopping spree makeover girl turned woman. And now we can anytime we want by just pressing purchase on a screen. I think sometimes the way we shop and buy comes from childhood wounds and and trauma and stuff. I mean, I know I was made fun of for my clothing growing up and that made me the perfect fast fashion consumer. I was ripe for the taking because I grew up never having the right thing. You know what I mean? And so I just think we need to like really dig inside and really investigate our consumption and, and figure out what's behind it. Is it social media? Are you trying to heal childhood wounds? You know, Whatever it is, let's let's take a moment and think about what tells us and what compels us to think that our happiness can be achieved by buying hundreds of items of clothing a year. 
Fast fashion does, though, offer a variety of styles and sizes. And in some ways, they solved a problem that a lot of longstanding retailers wouldn't even address for decades. And they didn't start having expanded sizes until they saw fast fashion retailers doing it. So I'm wondering, what are some of the options for people who say, you know, I would like to shop more sustainably, but I can't find clothing that fits my body and looks nice? So before I talk options, the first thing I want to say is that's another inequality that we've been trained to be okay with, right? Like I'm a plus size person. I have friends who are bigger than me. I don't think enough people who are standard size who claim to care about these things when they're listing off reasons for supporting fast fashion care enough to actually challenge like slow fashion brands to do better. That's the thing. Everybody is sort of looking for like a convenience excuse to keep participating without ever sort of being like, but what can I actually really do to change this? And everybody says, oh, body positivity. Woo. But is everyone having these conversations? Standard size people. It should not just be on plus size people. I literally will not take products from brands that do not do up to a certain size range. If everybody is into body positivity, then like it's time for everyone to put some skin in the game and start pushing these brands. We don't have to live this way. Also, I am a plus size person and I do manage to dress myself, but sometimes that looks like being creative. Like the amount of times I have bought things secondhand and altered them to fit my body, I'm happy to do that. I'm very comfortable with made to measure and the availability of made to measure is more common than you think these days. I think the problem is when it comes to the solution, we want the solution at the exact speed that fast fashion moves at. And that speed is inherently the problem with the system. And so all of us need to slow down. Basically, we need to not be buying a new dress because it's a new season and there are new styles available. We need to be taking the time to find the brands that really work for us. And people will say, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, okay, but like, I used to shop fast fashion and I knew that I spent hours on some of those sites going through thousands and thousands of dresses. So I would argue that sometimes we sort of say to ourselves, oh, I don't have time for that. I can't do that. But I think we're sort of falling into this is just the way I shop and I'm unwilling to really step back and change things a bit, you know? At this point, you might start to wonder, is it ever okay to buy fast fashion? And Aja says, If you have to, I'm not going to show up and like slap your credit card out of your hand. Because some people can't afford pricier, more sustainable brands. But her point is, it's not those people buying a few items out of necessity keeping this industry afloat. If we all bought five to 10 items a year, the apparel industry wouldn't be growing at the rate it is. But Aja thinks we might be buying these clothes to fill another void. I think our generation really sort of feels backed into a corner with fast fashion because so many of the things that should be available to us aren't, okay? Fast fashion does make us feel in some ways rich, make us feel like we have abundance, when in actuality, the things that we should have access to, good paying jobs, healthcare, houses, so that you can decide whether or not you wanna start a family, those things aren't available to us. Couple that with facing climate emergency and you have the perfect storm for people being like, YOLO, let's just buy whatever we want. 
but we can only buy what's available to us. And Aja's message isn't just directed at consumers. So the pink elephant in the room that no corporation wants to admit or acknowledge is all of them need to make less stuff. That is like, that is it. There is so much waste and they are so shady about their output for the year, the items that they create, the items that they incinerate, the items that they dump in the global south. And I think they keep those numbers hidden for a reason, to obscure these details so that we aren't more outraged, so that we don't ask for more, and so that we don't demand that they do better. And that's why I say we need consumer and citizen interests in order to get that regulation, you know? So some of the fast fashion brands have rolled out sustainable lines, and some of them also have programs where you can like bring back your clothes and get a discount or just donate them to the store. H&M has a program like that. Is there ever a benefit to these type of programs? Like, is it a drop in the bucket compared to the issues that they're actually creating? There is a nice incentive to get you in that store to keep buying from them with that coupon. Isn't that funny? It's like, oh, we're doing something good, but then you can buy more stuff from us. Isn't that great? I would argue it's more about the incentive to keep you shopping. And also, we don't know what they're doing with the clothing that's being collected. We know nothing about it. They are not very transparent about it. And for all we know, that clothing could very well be mixed in with the stuff that ends up in Cantamonto, polluting the beaches in Ghana. And also always notice the press surrounding when they do a sustainability line, right? So like they'll roll out a plush green carpet for themselves for making a t-shirt that's 50% recycled polyester. And if you really, really want to get into the nitty gritty, count the products online Look at the uh, conscious collections. Look at the green lines that these brands are doing. 20 green products. Meanwhile, you got 15,000 items total for sale. So what is that green line actually doing? But the problem is people will see the advertisement and go, oh, that's a sustainable brand without recognizing that that line is being brought there to pacify you, to keep you shopping. So we've asked ourselves the important questions. Define fast fashion and identified what to avoid. But what should we be doing? Let's start with finding sustainable brands. You really have to do your research, but I would say the first thing that you should look for before all sustainability, blah, 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 look for brands that pay their garment workers a living wage. Aja thinks that because clothing is so cheap and workers are paid so poorly, people don't understand the real cost of clothing production. I had to explain this to my niece. It was so funny. My older sister had bought one of my collab sweaters and my niece had seen the invoice in the box. And she called me and said, Aji, mommy got your sweater. It cost $120. And I was like, actually, that's pounds, kiddo. It's more expensive. And so (laughs) in her childhood head, she is just thinking that every time someone buys a sweater that Aji's getting $120. And it's like, no. So I broke it down for her. I was like, this is how fashion is made. I am not rich. Aji still lives in a flat. You know, what happens is we buy our materials and we go with a sustainable yarn creator. And so we we're going to pay more money for that because a lot of what's available isn't as good. And then we design the product, but there's someone else who does the labor they're going to get the biggest bulk of what we're charging 
because they're putting their labor into it and they should be paid accordingly. And then I studied them with that last percentage, Aji and Laura Jean split that. And that is why Aji's not a billionaire. There's also taxes and shipping, duties, all of these things. These are all things that you have to pay for when you create something. And she got it. And then the next thing she asked me was like, okay, but doesn't that mean that everything at the mall should be more expensive? And I was like, here's where I ruin your childhood. Here is where I ruin it all for you. But she got it. So I think we can explain these things to the general public in a way where people can start to put the pieces together between who is doing good work, who is being fair and who isn't. Once you sort of have those tools to really understand it. But it isn't just about finding better brands. Aja cannot stress this enough. We all need to be buying less. You might say, okay, I can't afford that sweater that costs 120 pounds. But if you were anything like I used to be and you were shopping sometimes twice a month, sometimes once a week, sometimes you were dropping 50 to $100 each time you went shopping. In two months time, you have the money saved for that garment that's a little bit pricier. And buying clothing secondhand is another good option if you have to shop. We make an abundance of goods in this planet, which means that a lot of things, if you're looking for it secondhand, you can probably find it. When you consider the scope of the problem of fast fashion, it can feel daunting. It may even be tempting to throw your hands up and say, nothing I do will solve the problem, so I might as well keep shopping. And Aja actually understands that. I get it. Like, nobody understood what a menace to society fast fashion would become. Least of all, not me. And so I'm not trying to say that anyone's a bad person, particularly if that's what works for you. But I think it's time to investigate how much we're buying. Why are we buying it? I think all of us, regardless of our socioeconomic level, can ask these questions of ourselves. And that's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. But I work with a very dope team to make this podcast. The show's producer is Alicia Key. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. Our director of audio is Graylin Brashear. Big thanks to Aja Barber for talking to us. We'll also have a link to her book in the show notes. Pop Culture will be back next week with a new episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend.